Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Turn the Bibles very quickly. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 verse 11. Are you in Romans chapter 1 verse 11? Read it as loud as you can. One, two, go. I asked you to read this text because I want to explain just briefly in passing. I will do it more in detail in, you know, in other meetings. I want to explain what an apostolic ministry is. No, it's not a title. It's not a title. And also, a lot of people, when they hear apostolic, you know, all that comes to their mind is miracles, and they're not exactly wrong. Paul told the church at Corinth, he says, for I have evidently been set forth amongst you as an apostle in signs and wonders. So there is that dimension to it, but that's not all there is to it. Great evangelists also have great signs and wonders. And of course, because you're a pastor, doesn't mean there shouldn't be signs and wonders in your church. This is, there is no exclusivity to signs and wonders. Even though there is what the Bible calls special signs that should be given to an apostolic ministry. But there is more to that. He says, I long to see you that I might impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end. Not that you will just be healed or that there's going to be a turnaround of favor in your business or something like that. But he says to the end that you may be established. Let me tell you something. The end result of a true apostolic ministry is establishment of the gospel in a region. Establishment. Establishment. If you come to a place, you have a great meeting, even if you raise four dead people, but after the meeting, the impact of that meeting just goes, whew. that was evangelical. It wasn't apostolic. Are you listening to me? The goal of apostolic work is establishment. Let me tell you something. You cannot have a true apostolic ministry in two days. You cannot. Look, 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 look at Philippians 1.25 quickly. Philippians 1.25. So just so that you understand this. Philippians 1.25. Quickly. Everybody read this loud as you can want to go. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide. Say abide. And continue. Say continue. Continue with all of you for the furtherance and joy of your faith. If your faith is going to experience furtherance or progress, it is going to take consistency. You continue. 
So listen, an apostolic ministry is evangelical in its introduction. So you just come with great miracles, you know, great signs, and you preach the word of God, you know, but it doesn't end there. The end goal, I long to see you, to impart unto you some spiritual gifts, so not to demonstrate spiritual gifts, but to make it efficacious in your own life. So, oh my God, the true sign of apostleship is not what he does, but what the people do as a result of his work. So it is an impartation in you. What the people do as a result of his work, who you become after the meeting, to the end that you may be established. Now, what does it mean by established? You don't need to guess. Because that was not the last time he used the word. So it's very interesting. Paul used that word to start the, the book that he wrote to Romans, and he used that word to end it also. So at the beginning of the book, he said, this is what my aim is. And at the end of the book, he said it again, just for avoidance of doubt. Look at Romans chapter 16, verse 25. Romans chapter 16, verse 25. It says, now to him that has power to establish you, According to my gospel and the what? So now, when he says imparting of spiritual gifts, was he just talking about healing or teaching? How do you establish? He will establish you how? According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret before the world began. So, he says, God is going to establish you by my preaching. You can be healed and not be established. Healing is important. God wants more than healing. He wants establishment. You can receive a miracle and not be established. God wants what? Talk to me. God wants what? You see... Um, there's something the Catholics called confirmation, even though they are context, you know. <laughs> and, and the work of an apostle is confirmation, amongst any other thing. The miracles are just to draw your attention to the real work. What did Ephesians 4.11 say? He gave some apostles, prophets, Evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the what? Perfecting of the saints. Listen, so the saints must come to what the Bible calls perfection. Completion. That's establishment. How do you know that you are established? Perfecting of the saints for the work of ministry. Ah, so my work is not done until you can do what I do in some sense. So your work is not just to receive ministry, but to be completed so that you also can do ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. So an apostle comes, meets the body of Christ, not really mature in a region. Maybe, in fact, the gospel has not been published there. He publishes it 
Or maybe the gospel was already, was already published, people are saved, but they are not disciples. He disciples them. They come to maturity to do ministry more effectively, such that in his absence, are you following? In his absence, as he goes to other places, the word of the Lord still thrives and continues in that place. So who is an apostle? An apostle is anyone who establishes the word of God in a region where it was not popular. Is anyone who establishes the word of God in a new territory especially where it was not hitherto popular. I'm adding especially because even if it is, even if it's, it's possible for you to be in a region and you know, oh, there's a church here, but somehow you never have just felt drawn to it. And so another person can come and have an apostolic work in that same region. And then it just gets to you in particular. Come on, I get what I'm saying. This is so important. This is what, so important. And so we know <laughs> the true success of an apostolic meeting after the meeting. And there are three signs. Number one is assurance of salvation. What is it called? Uh -huh. So um, when, when Paul talks about establishing you, that Greek word actually means strengthening. So you are strengthened. You now know beyond a doubt that you are a child of God and God loves you because you are strengthened. You heard the word of God and the spirit bore witness with your spirit. When Paul writes to Philippi and he says, he that has begun a good work in you, how did God start a good work in them? By Paul's ministry. I'm explaining apostolic ministry. Are you getting this? So he went there first and foremost as an evangelist, published the word there, put some structure there, and now he's away. And then he says, he that has begun a good work in you, Philippians 1.6, will complete it until the day of Christ. So we know it's an apostolic work when the people continue in it. He who has begun a good work in you will continue it until the day of Christ. So now these guys, they are saved, but not just that, they continue in it. They have assurance of salvation. So assurance of salvation is the first thing. Number two is a drive for more devotion. A drive for more devotion. When Paul visited the church at Thessalonica, there had been a lot of persecution. Some people had been killed for their faith. But by his ministry, he strengthened them and so they continued without discouragement. So after a meeting like this, you should find yourself studying the Bible more, praying more. That's the sign. You should find the hunger even more than before. For even the things that you were doing right before. You just want to study more. You just want to talk about God. You want to evangelize. 
drive for devotion. And number three, drive for the establishment of the mandates. Drive for the establishment of the mandates or the great commission. When and when an apostle lives, the word of God must continue, must grow mightily and prevail, even through the people. Because there is going to be such an evangelical drive where people who had been living for themselves begin to live for God and for his Christ. Say loud, amen. amen. And so, I don't even really like the title. If I had my way, I would actually stop it. You know, I, there, was, there was a time I was being driven somewhere. And the security wanted to know who. So, he tapped the window of the driver and said, sorry, who are you, please? Who are you bringing? And the driver said, Apostle Emmanuel. I said, so after the security man went, I said, why, did, why do you keep saying that? Just say Mr. Emmanuel. And he said, no, sir. You see, <laughs> I can't say it. So there are many people who are never told to call me that who just call me that because they've seen it. And it's strange. You know, I went to preach somewhere recently. No PR, no branding to say from today, my name will be uh uh. But when he saw the things that God did, the host pastor said, uh, Let's thank God for Pastor. Uh -uh, sorry. I, I, and I'm just looking. He corrected himself and said, Apostle. So I'm now just, just like. But you see, it doesn't really matter, honestly speaking. Those of you who follow our ministry know that people fondly call me pastor, and that's the shepherd part of me. I'm first a pastor. You get what I'm saying? Likes that fondness. But the most important thing is that you understand what the apostolic ministry entails. Listen, we have churches in places that I have not visited. As at this time, even though that will change this year, I've not, I've not been to Canada yet. I've not, I've not applied for the visa till now. <laughs> till now. I've not, I've not been to the UK yet. I'll go to all these places and more. You know, but the fact that the word of the Lord traveled and there was a great following there and I was able to send someone that I had trained to those places. Now that's apostolic. It's a grace, oh. People who have never seen me. And the word of God is thriving there. When you just look at what God is doing, even in places we don't have a church yet. You know, something happened. Someone sent me a video. I think I posted it. Those of you who follow me probably saw it. So someone from Nigeria traveled to the U.S. We don't have a church in the U.S. yet. That's about, that's going to change soon. You know, and so she just went to church, just went to any church close by since it was a Sunday. I'm a Christian, I'm in America, so she just went to a church. And so, two white ladies came to her after the service and said, Please, there is a Bible study that we like you to be a part of, and we think you will connect to the Bible study because our pastor is African. 
So we saw you. We know you're African, so we just wanted to invite you. You know, and this lady, she's an acquaintance we've seen, you know, once or twice. So she said, sorry, which pastor is that? And she said, Pastor Emmanuel. You know, so the white people, are you listening to me? Were introducing her to someone she knew back at home. So she was like, I know him. <laughs> and she, and she, these white ladies began to tell her how every week they sit down and they stream the service and they discuss lessons learned. Are you with me? And when, and when you see the ease with which we do it, the grace with which you do it, you know, this is the Lord. So I, I, I want you to know that we're not trying to have a great meeting. We're trying to raise great disciples. There's a difference. There's a difference. And so if, if you are interested in growing in the Lord, that's why God sent me. That's why God sent me. If you want to follow Jesus, if you are ready to prioritize his call above your own intentions, you want to grow in his knowledge, grow in the manifestation of spiritual gifts, grow in your ability to evangelize others, tell people about him, clearly explain his message. That's why we came. Not just so that you can say, ah, oh, that meeting was great but so that people will observe your own life and say, where have you been? And they will know that you have been with Jesus. Are you getting what I'm saying? God wants the true proof of the success of this meeting to be you. So what did I say is the first sign of an apostolic ministry? A brief recap of what we talked about yesterday. Were you blessed yesterday? God uses simple people to carry out an extraordinary purpose. Didn't that encourage you? Yes, Hallelujah. So you just know, uh, God can use me. God can use me. God, God used a donkey in the Bible. I know there are things that I don't get right, but I'm better than a donkey. <laughs> a donkey proclaimed the word of God. I can proclaim the word of God. That's why Jesus warned them. He said, if, if you don't do this thing, stones will cry out. Clots are seen the sick before. Are you getting what I'm saying? That the apostles will bless a cloth and pass it around and the cloth will be healing the sick. You must heal the sick. God knows how to use simple people to do extraordinary things. That's why James said, let the brother of low degree rejoice. If you don't have a good background, it doesn't really matter. If you have a call, you don't really have money, it doesn't really take money. It just takes knowing who sent you. Knowing whose you have, who, whose you are. That's what it takes. Praise the Lord. That's why Paul told Timothy, he says, let no man despise your youth. Don't let anybody despise you. Don't let anybody tell you you are too young. Don't let anybody you 
tell you you can't do it. If God has anointed you, you can. If God says this is the path I'm giving you, you can do it. And now we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, right? Very powerful message. Let's go over it very quickly. There's a flow of thought from that into what we're talking about today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 28 says God, in verse 27, says God uses foolish things to confound the wise. Verse 28 says, and base things of the world and things which are despised has God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught the things which are. Verse 29, very powerful and very resounding. Read verse 29 together, one to go. That no flesh should glory in his presence. He does it to humble us. He brings you to the end of yourself by the enormity of the task so that you can trust in him fully and so that his power can be manifest. Amen, somebody. Verse 31, that according as it is written, he that glories, that Greek word means he that boasts, let him boast in the Lord. Say he that boasts, he that boasts. let him boast in the Lord. Let him boast in the Lord. I, you see, I'm a different type of pastor by the grace of God because when you understand this, it will save you from competition. It will save you from strife. When they came to meet John the Baptist and said, look at this Jesus that you baptized. He's getting popular. He is baptizing. Ah, John said, guys, a man can receive nothing except it be given to him from above. Don't pressure yourself. Who God has blessed, he has what? And learn to recognize and celebrate the blessing. Be happy for others genuinely. He that glories, let him glory in the Lord. You know, a pastor traveled to Lagos and he asked to see me. And he came with his notepad and pen. And he said, I want you to teach me. How is your church this size? And how are you doing this? And how are you doing that? I said, I know your ministry. I said, there is nothing that I am doing that you are not doing. I said, my result is different by grace. And that grace, not because I am better than you, but because of the assignments that I am giving. Are you getting what I'm saying? See. If you are called to pastor a flock, don't let pressure or what others are doing push you to go and start planting churches. Some churches have crashed because of that. Learn to be secure in your own call. Stop trying to do what everyone is doing. And we also need that maturity that because God has engraced me, you know, you know many pastors will not say what I said. Are you aware? They say there are levels to this thing, you know, if you will kneel down and I will impart you here. You know, an impartation does a lot. But remember what we said yesterday. You can never move the hand of God to do what is not already consistent with his plan for your life. Celebrate your own race. He that prophesies, 
let him prophesy as an oracle of God. Let him do it according to the measure of grace. You have to be very carnal to see someone who has 100 members and think you are therefore more excellent than the person. It's not always true. There are some people who go the other extreme to glorify small numbers. Mm -mm. At the end of the day, it's a great commission. We are trying to win everybody to Christ. Amen, somebody? Amen. But there is that balance. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, uh -huh. So he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. But now, this is the point, and this is how we transition into the focus for today. It is not just true about the people God uses. It is true about the message God uses. The same way Paul says, you see your call, that there are not many wise, not many mighty who are called. The same way, the message is also simple. It's not just that God uses simple people. He also uses a simple message. So simple that some people call it foolishness. It just sounds illogical. If you are too intelligent, you might miss God, miss the power of God. Because God, once upon a time, clothed himself in humanity, walked on the face of the earth amongst people who had been expecting him and they didn't recognize him. Just because he looked ordinary. Are you getting what I'm saying? You know, it's, it's just the simplicity. In all the superhero movies you watch, actors don't die in local parlance. Actors know they die. So you would have thought that if Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, he's going to save his people, you know, from the treacherous Roman Empire, you know, and just bring them to El, El Dorado, you know, to a place flowing with milk and honey. That was the kind of mindset they had. But now God chose that the death of Jesus will bring salvation. Not the conquest of Jesus. He was not going to lead the revolution. But his death. Just imagine I'm you are hearing the gospel for the first time. And I said, I want to tell you something. Jesus died. And you're like, you want to start crying. Ah, he died. Who killed him? What did he do? I said, relax. He died, but it's a good thing he died. You're like, it's never a good thing someone died. Well, in this context, it is. Are you getting what I'm saying? When Jesus died, God received the death of Jesus as propitiation for your sins. Because of the death of Jesus, he says your sins are covered. And that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Now that me message seems, if I told you that you can live forever, ha, you will say, what do I need to do? If I say, take these injections, I give you one million injections. I say, take a shot every day. That's your scientific mind will wrap around that. Some of you don't like injection, but if, you would, if, if it will make you live forever, you will do it. Are you listening to me? If I say, twice a week, starve yourself and you will live forever. Some of you will do that. But now, this is what the Bible says. He gave his only begotten son 
that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oton. And people struggle with that. So now, listen, when we're talking about simple people, we read from Colossians, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 from verse 27, right? But now let's look at simple message. Look at from verse 18 of the same 1 Corinthians 1. It says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. To the people of the world is foolish. Okay, someone died. How can that death benefit me? The demise of someone benefits me. But that's the wisdom of God. Say loud, amen. amen. He says, but unto us who are saved, it's the power of God. Say loud, amen. amen. We see the power of God displayed in the death of Jesus. Not just towards Jesus, but towards us. Naturally, if you heard that someone died and rose again in three days, you'll be like, wow, that's wonderful. He's so lucky. Thank God, though. God is powerful. He raised him up. But when I want to prove that the resurrection of the person is for your advantage, that takes spiritual understanding. That was what Paul was praying that your eyes will see. In Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 15, it says that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened to know the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised Christ from the dead. He said when Christ was raised from the dead, God was demonstrating his power in your life. His power usward, not in Christ, but usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Do you understand that? Verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 1. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Because from a scientific standpoint, the death of someone else, the resurrection of someone else shouldn't benefit you. Well, God says, keep on arguing. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Because salvation is going to come in such a simple way that I have chosen. And no other brilliant ideas that you come up with will be sufficient to save your soul. My prayer for you today is that the death and the resurrection of Jesus will be enough for you. Because it's either that or nothing else. There is no other name given under heaven by which men should be saved. Hallelujah. So when Paul said that no flesh should glory in his presence, he wasn't just talking about people in ministry or people doing work for God. He was also talking about the message. In the message of the gospel, it says no flesh should glory in his presence. That's how the work is. You know, we normally, we don't like to be thankful, human beings. Has it ever happened to you before that you gave someone something or you did a favor for someone and the person was struggling to do his own back, do something nice for you just so they, they, they avoid that awkward situation where they feel like, you get what I'm saying? If you give some people something, they feel like you have something on them. So they want to quickly exchange the favor 
just so that they can, you know, we're even. It's an age-long system of pride. So when God says, you don't have to do anything to be saved, just believe. <laughs> Some of us are not used to that, but that's what it takes. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Let me tell you something. Any presentation of the gospel that gives you the impression that in heaven you will have any boasting on your part, that presentation of the gospel is wrong. Some of you think that when you get to heaven, you just go, wow, I really tried. Heaven at last. And then maybe Jesus even wants to welcome you. Say, hey, wait, 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 let me catch my breath. Can't you see I tried? You need to look at the journey. Bring my records. You need to look at it. Ah, ah, I fasted twice a week. I did not fail in my tithing once. Some of us think that it is our works that will get us to heaven. But God says that in his presence, no flesh will glory. No flesh will boast. Are you aware you can be in church for 10 years and not know this? You can be in church for 20 years and not know this. One of the things that the Bible emphasizes the most, and some of you, you may be hearing it for the first time, but one of the things that the Bible emphasizes the most is that there must be no glorying in the presence of God. You must not boast. Haven't you read about the 24 elders? The Bible says they do what? They cast their golden crowns. When you come before God, you throw away your accolades. You throw away your achievements. You, you, listen, you refuse to acknowledge any effort on your path because no effort on your path will be sufficient before the excellent glory of God. It won't be sufficient. You know, some of you, that's the mistake you are making. You are struggling with habits. And what do you do when you sin? You say, God, I promise you I won't do it again. You, you want to impress God. Some of you really think that you can impress God. You think it's like jam or SATs. That maybe at the judgment, some of you really think that at the judgment seat of Christ, God will look at your scorecard. Okay, went to church. Where is church attendance? Okay. Dressing. Okay. Okay, you tried. Enter, enter, enter. You don't know who God is. Your righteousness is as a filthy rag before God. Filthy rag. Filthy rag. Meaning, even if you try your best, oh, God is still going to be like, what is that? I don't see anything. The only way you can be saved is by grace. Are you listening to me? Now, let me tell you this. Let me give you an example. Have you ever had the opportunity maybe to have close proximity to a very wealthy person or to a very great person and you wanted to buy the person a gift and you don't know what to buy? What, how do you impress Dangote with a gift? How do you? Even if you give him 10 million, yeah, you'd be like, that's cute. <laughs> Are you getting what I'm saying? If you, can, if you can't think of what you will give Dangote, how much more God? That okay. As in, some of you, when you want to pray, in a split second, you first do a scan to see how well you have behaved lately. 
And then if you think you have tried, you will now be confident. And if you feel you have not tried, you first start by saying, Lord, in any way that I've fallen short of your glory, sin of commission, permission, commission. Listen. If you sin and you don't feel guilty, maybe you are not saved. That's a totally different thing. But for you to think that it is your righteousness that gives you confidence in the presence of God, it is wrong. You, listen, you must kill that mindset too. If you are not careful, hi, my God, I'm about to say something now. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Are you ready for this? Yes, adjust yourself first, adjust yourself. Because what I'm about to say, if you're not ready, you fall off your chair. If, I'm, if you're not careful, the more prayerful you become, the less spiritual you become. There are many people in the body of Christ that start misbehaving when they enter into a depth of spiritual devotion. You, it's, now, it's now a star on your shoulder. I have prayed 10 hours. You will be surprised when you want to pray for someone. You are no longer trusting the name of Jesus. You are trusting your efforts. It's a slippery slope. Some even slip into pride. It becomes a superiority complex over others. Are you getting what I'm saying? Yes, it's, it's subconscious. Jesus told a story. Who told the story? Jesus said two men came to the temple. Imagine, he said one of them said, God, I thank you that I'm not like all these other people. Me, I fast twice a week. I don't fail in my tithing. All the things that you think will impress God. Jesus said this person did it, and God did not justify him. He left that place condemned. Are you aware that this is Jesus talking? He, the judgment seat is called the judgment seat of Christ. So he's the one you will see at the end of your life. And this is what he says. So some people just assess people based on that and make that conclusion. You, you may not voice it out, but some just imagine it and say, Lord, I thank you I'm not like these people. You know, some look at other churches that way. Are you aware? Should we talk or we should not talk? Do you know, there are some people constantly measuring up against other churches. Do they pray? Is this prayer? And on one hand, we must be able to charge each other to do better. But when your devotion becomes an occasion for pride, watch. Have you seen people, because they learn two Greek words, you can't talk to them again. <laughs> Have you seen, you know, some people will not even wait to understand. They are always looking for an occasion to talk. So before you even do a post, they, they have replied. Are you now saying, they didn't balance, and usually they always jump into conclusion, you just, <laughs> and you become less Christian as you became more knowledgeable. But he said that no flesh should glory in his presence. Are you getting what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So now, the Bible tells us, look at, look at, look at what the, let's look at what the Bible says about boasting. Are you ready for this? 
Look at Romans chapter 3 from verse 23. I know you know Romans 3, 23. Because all the evangelists on your streets usually use it. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Question. Did that verse end with full stop? What did it end with? Semicolon. Some of your Bibles, it ends with comma, right? So, meaning he has not finished. Why is it that many people, when they quote it, they stop there? Anybody who reads Romans 3.23 and stops in 23 is mischievous. He's hiding something. So, let's read verse 23 into verse 24. You know, it's longer than that, but we can stop in verse 24. Are you ready? From verse 23, one to go. Uh-huh. Verse 24, one to go. All right. All I've seen comes out of the glory of God, but for those who believe, they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, verse 25, who God set forth to be propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because of the forbearance of God who had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Say loud, amen. amen. So he said, the blood of Jesus is propitiation. By, by the blood of Jesus, you are forgiven. Your sins are no longer taken into account. Verse 26, to demonstrate at this time his righteousness that he might be the just and justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Verse 27, everybody read together loud as you can want to go. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. Stop there. Some of you, you were never taught this. Well, you're learning it now. When you understand the gospel, you will see that boasting is excluded. No room for boasting. Don't you understand? Someone did the work for you. Was it you who died? Was it you who was buried? He says, someone did the work for you. His blood was propitiation for your sins. He says, where is boasting then? Meaning anyone who boasts in their perfection, who thinks that there are some boxes they tick, and it is those boxes that will get them to heaven. Anybody who thinks that does not understand the gospel. After he explained the gospel, explained what Christ did, he said, where is boasting then? It is excluded. Say it is excluded. He says, by what law? And what did he say next? He said of works. Was it by works? He says, no, by the law of faith. Hallelujah. Read verse 28 together loud as you can want to go. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from uh -huh. Apart from behavioral modification, apart from behavioral observance, do this, don't do this. By this then, we have concluded. This is the conclusion when it comes to the gospel. Come on, say loud, amen. amen. Look at Philippians chapter 3, from verse 3. Those of you who follow Celebration Church, you know we end services with a benediction. And this is where we got it from. Philippians 3.3. 3. It says, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. So now there is a circumcision that is of the flesh. 
where the Jews will just take their newborn babies, you know, and circumcise them. He says, but our own circumcision is of the Spirit. And we rejoice. That Greek word is the same Greek word translated boast in all the other places we read. We boast in Christ Jesus. Where is your boast? Where is your boast? Is your boast in your efforts? Is your boast in anything you've done? Is your boast in anything you have? Where is your boast? In Christ Jesus, we serve God by the Spirit. We boast in Christ Jesus and we have no confidence in the flesh. Maybe nobody taught you this, but I'm teaching you now. Listen, when someone tells you, how do you know you're going to make heaven? Don't say, well, I try. Before, I used to have this habit, but in the past, you know, I've been... It says, we worship God by the Spirit. We boast in Christ Jesus. So, my claim to heaven is this. Christ died for me. I believe it. It says, and whosoever believes shall not perish. So, how do you know you're not going to heaven? Whosoever believes shall not perish. I am whosoever. Say that. Say, I'm whosoever. Say, he was talking about me. He was talking about me. Whosoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. I boast in Christ Jesus, not in my efforts. And I put no confidence in the flesh. You know, some people say this. They think that people who talk like this are defeated in sin and so they are trying to cover it up with excuses. You know, from my experience, Many true preachers of the true gospel are even more disciplined than the people who claim to be doing it by law. You know, sometimes I listen to them and I say, ah, is this in this, isn't this too extreme? I remember the time I was listening to Joseph Prince year, years ago. And he said he cannot, he does not give women lift in the car. And I was like, ah. he said, so that even the rumor will not be possible. Right? He, won't say, he won't say, he says he does not, he doesn't mind giving you transport, booking an Uber, but he doesn't, ah, so I said this is too extreme now. Is, not, is that now the person you think is encouraging sin? And Romac said, not only have I never taken alcohol, I have never drank coffee in my life. Ah, I said, <laughs> is this not too far? So listen, when they tell you this, it's not because they are not disciplined. They know that no amount of discipline will be enough before the excellent glory of God. Are you getting what I'm saying? So listen, after Paul says, and have no confidence in the flesh, in the next verse, see what he said in the next verse. He says, though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks they have confidence in the flesh, I more so. He says, if it's by boasting, I can boast more than you It's just like someone hearing what I said about prayer and thinking I don't pray. <laughs> Hallelujah. If it's about boasting, I probably can boast more than you. And then he begins to give his credentials. He says, circumcised of the eighth day. So, meaning, I'm saying circumcision of the, is of the spirit, not because I wasn't circumcised. Come on, are you with me? Yes, circumcised on the eighth day. 
of the stock of Israel, Israel, it says of the tribe of Benjamin. If you follow the Israeli gene genealogy, you know that some genealogies were more excellent. Are you getting what I'm saying? He says of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He says concerning the law, a Pharisee. I got to the pinnacle when it comes to observance of the law. I, I was a Pharisee. He doesn't get higher than that. I was a Pharisee. He says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness of the law, blameless. But then what does he say? Verse 7. Everybody read verse 7 as loud as you can want to go. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. As great and as noble as you are, if you want to come to God, you must drop all your accolades at the cross. Whatever was the gain to you, you counted loss. You counted dung. He called it animal excreta. All these excellent things. I count them all but dung for the knowledge of Christ. Are you with me? We serve God by the Spirit. We boast in Christ Jesus and we put no confidence in the flesh. Say with me, we serve God by the Spirit. We boast in Christ Jesus. We put no confidence in the flesh. But now, this simple message, a lot of people don't understand it. The message is so simple that if you believe in Jesus, you will not perish but have everlasting life. That if you shall believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, confess in your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Amen, somebody. Amen. It's that simple. The message is simple. Not just the messenger, but the message. And now this is what Paul warns about. This is a Bible study. That's why I'm taking my time. First Corinthians chapter 1. Sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I wanted to read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 25. In 1 Corinthians 1 25, it says, the, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Amen, somebody. Do you believe that? Yes, All right, now look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. There's so many angels in this hall. And they're, out, they're just giving me look like, finish, make me walk now. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3 Are you there? He says but I fear And honestly this is my fear also He says but I fear Lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness So your minds may be corrupted from the what? What did I call the title of this sermon? Simple power. I'm letting you know, God is very simple in his methods and operations. It is the devil that makes it complex. He says, I fear that as the devil deceived Eve, he may deceive you from the simplicity that is Christ. From the simplicity that is in Christ. Look at the next verse. Verse 4. 
He says, for if he who comes preaches another Jesus from whom we have, we, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which have not been accepted, he says, you may well not put up with it. You may well put up with it. Now, look at all the things he said. Say another Jesus. Another spirit. Another gospel. Again, say another Jesus. Another spirit. Another gospel. Not everybody who has a church is preaching the truth. I didn't say it. Paul said it. And one key way to know is that they make complex what is simple. He says, I'm afraid that you'll be beguiled from the simplicity of the gospel. So what is the gospel? Look at Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 8. Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 8. Atalia Capongrese Paleto Crase Tigres. Are you there? Everybody read one, two, go. Hold on. Read again. Hold on. Read again. See, do you know you can be in church so long? that you are taught to see things in a particular way and that what is clear is no longer clear to you. There are many things that we have believed traditionally but not biblically. We just believe it because everybody says it. You know, one day I was just joking. I was preaching somewhere. And I said, hallelujah. When I say hallelujah, how do you respond? Some people said amen. Now, when I say praise the Lord, what do you say? Hallelujah. When I say hallelujah, why do you say amen? What does hallelujah mean? What does hallelujah mean? Praise the Lord. So why did you say amen? Why do you say so it is? Because a lot of people said it when you were growing up. So you never really thought about it. I remember the first time we finished a service and we said, have a good day. Eh? We won't share the grace. You know, it was as if, ah, we can't go. <laughs> it's as if, if we don't share the grace, we won't. Do you understand? Now, Paul wrote so many books and he ended only one with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God. He just chose to end that particular book that way. He wasn't instituting an ordinance that you must end every service that way. Many of us are more traditional than spiritual. And so now, it's difficult to teach the truth. People are so fixated on error that when you want to teach the truth, because it, is, it's because it sounds new, all your life, when you hear thunder, just rain is falling, oh, because you, you watch one movie on rapture, you're afraid. When you woke up, and maybe because you were sleeping, members in your family, they, they didn't want to disturb you, so they went out. When you woke up and no one was at home, ah, they say, oh, no, 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 Lord, no, Lord. 
And then you know, as a father in the name of Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Well, first and foremost, if they were gone, they are gone. No? All that crying won't work. Let me ask you in all honesty. If you did that as a child, raise your hand. Thank you for your honesty. You know why you did that? Do you know why you did that? Because you thought that God is always marking your scripts. And there is a cut-off mark that if you don't pass part time based on behavior, you're not going to make it. But now, look at this text. For by grace are you saved. Do you know what that means? It means it's undeserved. You have no contribution. You have no participation. By grace are you saved. Even if you don't understand the etymology of the word grace, You've used it long enough to know that it means something unmerited, something undeserved. So if someone thinks that he will make heaven and go, ah, oh, I really tried. Based on this, isn't that wrong? Everyone, when they see Jesus, will fall on their face and say, I am only here because of you. Nothing I did brought me here. I'm only, you will give him all the glory. For by grace are you saved. As if you didn't, as if that's not enough. He knew some people will still be arguing. So he said, through faith. He's explaining that it's by grace. So, meaning all that you have to, all you have to do is believe through faith. He's explaining how it is by grace. The fact that all you have to do is believe. If all I have to do to live forever is believe in Jesus, then salvation is by grace. But he knows some people will still not understand. He didn't end there. He says, and that not of yourselves. Please, what does that mean for God's sake? Are you aware that if people were not hard of hearing, saying you are saved by grace is enough? But it's as if he knew some people... So he had to break it down by grace. He was preaching as if he was preaching to three-year-olds. And some people still don't get it. By grace are you saved. Through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. For God's sake, if he says it's by grace, did he have to say it's, by, it's a gift? It is the gift of God. Some people will still not understand. Listen, think about it. Salvation is the gift of God. Let that sink. You may think you know it, but let that sink. Let that sink. Salvation is what? Salvation is what? Salvation is what? The reason I'm repeating it is because some of you, you have heard error so much, I have to wipe it out. He says it's the gift of God. And then what did he say next in verse 9? Verse 9. Not of works, lest any man should what? You see, there are even many texts I've not yet shared with you. But you see how many times he has warned you against boasting. He has warned you against boasting. In salvation, many people don't understand the definition of pride. No, I mean, think about it. 
when you were growing up spiritually, if you hear someone pray and say, Lord, I fast twice a week and I've not failed in my tithing, you would have thought God would say, well done, son. Didn't you think so? But now Jesus says, someone prayed like that. And he says, he that exalts himself will be abased. He, Jesus called it pride. Because when you come to him, you must drop your crown. So we are not saved by works. We are saved to walk. So it doesn't mean we don't have works. But the works were not a prerequisite for salvation. They are the result of salvation. Everything we do, we do for his glory and by his enablement. He's the one who empowers us to do it. So he takes the credit for that. And even when I fall short, if, listen, if I am genuinely saved, I am not consciously wallowing in it. But are you aware? Oh, my telemboro tefete kori Just looking at time and then scanning the maturity of the crowd. Let me show you something. Let's see how Paul preached to the church at Corinth. I'm already rounding off. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. Are you learning anything? Verse 4, he says, I thank my God always on your behalf. For the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. Now, from what he's saying, is he talking to believers or not? Of course he's talking to believers. For the grace of God which is coming, given to you by Jesus Christ, that you are in everything enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ is confirmed in you. He said the testimony of Christ is confirmed in them. Everybody read verse 7, 1 to go. So that he come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of God. So now he says, these guys, they are waiting. They are waiting. So he judges their present disposition in lieu of the fact that Christ is coming. When he was saying this, he knew all the things that were wrong in the church. Are you with me? All the mistakes some Corinthians were making, he knew. Yet he chose to start the letter this way. Are you getting this? And so when it comes to chapter 6, now, oh my God, when a Christian sins, how are we to act? What are we to teach? What are we to understand? You know what Paul said? And look at the same 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. He says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God and that you are not your own? Listen, please don't get what I'm saying wrong. Am I encouraging sin in any way? God forbid. Even Paul never did that. So when you hear that some people are meddling in stuff like that, you say, what? How dare you? Do you not know that your body is the temple of Christ which you have of God? Don't you understand? You, 
the Holy Spirit is inside you. You better be careful what you do with your body. I'm going to dwell on that if, if I have time. The mentality of the indwelling presence of God will help you behave. When you are conscious, some of us are only conscious of the presence of God when we want power to manifest, not for consecration. When it is time to heal the sick, we start confessing, I have the power of God. I have the... Remember that when you have the temptation to do the wrong thing, that the Holy Spirit is with you, is always watching. Anything... <laughs> are you ready for this? The Holy Spirit is always in you, right? Anything you cannot do if he was physically present, don't do. And what I'm teaching you will also help you grow in power. If you want to grow in the consciousness of the presence of God, you must engage that consciousness every time. Where can I run from your presence? Even if I lay my bed in Hades, your eyes are there. That consciousness will keep you. Know ye not that your body is the temple of God? How can you take the temple of God and be joined to a harlot? It's a powerful mindset. But do you know how this is different from how some other people teach it? So now, I am teaching sanctification the Bible way. There is a way to warn people against fornication and all these things. This is the Bible way. You know how some other people teach it? They will say, ah, you fornicated, the Holy Ghost has left you. Did Paul say that? Eh -eh. Paul instead said, because the Holy Spirit is always with you, never do that again. Do you understand? Because the Holy Ghost said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Don't, in trying to fear, scare people into righteousness, say the wrong thing. The Holy Ghost is always there. So instead, teach them to have that consciousness of the presence of God that will keep them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Doing the right thing. That's the Bible way. So now, some people misbehave and they said, what? Don't you know that your body is the temple of God? You are not your own. Everybody read verse 20 together. Verse 20. You see that? You were bought with a, with a price. You belong to God forever. Hallelujah. Therefore glorify God with your mortal bodies. This is how to teach righteousness. Right living. The consciousness of who you are. The Holy Ghost is with you. Therefore glorify God with your mortal bodies. You were bought with an expensive price. You know what Peter said? He said, you were not redeemed with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. When you understand this, it will change your life. And it will save you from human inventions. There are a lot of things that are human inventions. 
there is no such thing as rededicating your life to Christ. Are you aware? It is not biblical. <laughs> you will never see in the Bible that someone rededicated. It's not subscription that you renew. Eh? It's adoption, sonship. If, listen, if you are your father's son, you are your father's son. So even if you have a strain in the relationship and he's no more talking to you, you can just solve matters amicably. And when you want to move on, you just move on, you do better. Do you have to come and say, uh, I know I'm no more your son. Accept me back into your family. Your father will be looking at you like this. Are you, are you okay? Is everything all right? Because when you were doing the wrong thing, you still carried this DNA. You were just being naughty. So when you come to your senses, you just start acting like, like who you are. Act normal. Lay aside every weight and every sin that easily besets you and run. So you, you know what? If you've been unserious and you want to pray, you say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I have been distracted. This is not who I am. And so from today, I lay aside this weight. I lay aside these habits. And I walk worthy of my vocation. I walk in a manner consistent of my vocation. And I submit myself to accountability so that the church can hold me accountable not to continue in this disobedience. That's how to confess the word of God and you move on. Are you learning this? This is very important. I lay aside every weight. He said, let he that stole steal no more. He was talking to a church. <laughs> You might be surprised. Some people will get carried away and steal. And he didn't say, you are no more Christians. Mm -mm. He just corrected them. Don't do it again. Don't do it again. How can you, who are dead in sin, continue to live therein? So when they were sinning, he still said they are dead. Are you getting what I'm saying? I've given this popular analogy of when they are cooking chicken, I'm not talking about the one that many people do these days that they will go to frozen, you know, and buy frozen chicken. If you buy a live chicken and you cut the head off, have you ever experienced it before that when you poured water on the chicken, the chicken rose up without its head and started running? The first time it happened as a child, oh my God, my spirit left my body. You know all those... Um, Tom and Jerry things where the spirit will lift Tom and be looking at Tom like this. It happened to me. Ha! I said, which kind of wala be this? Chicken without head, running up. We're now pursuing a chicken without head. I said, mommy, what is this? She said, even after the chicken is dead, some of the impulses are still working. So it can respond to heat and run, but it is still dead. That's how sin is. Even if you are dead to sin, are you getting what I'm saying? If you invest in the flesh, if you sow in the flesh, you will reap flesh. Are you getting what I'm saying? So he says, mortify therefore. Don't let me scare you, but what happens to chickens happens to dead bodies. In the mortuary, some dead bodies can have some impulses and just... Ah, imagine you were there. 
And then everybody just. So what the mortuary attendants, the morticians do, is they put some chemicals on the dead body to make sure they act dead. They are dead, but to help them act dead. So in the same way, Paul says, you can, through the spirit, mortify. So you, ha- you do the work of a mortician to make sure the flesh that is dead acts dead. When you are tempted to do something that is inconsistent with your born-again spirit, you say, flesh behave, flesh behave. Are you getting what I'm saying? You make sure the flesh adjusts. You present it to the word of God. You put it under. This is how to deal with sin. Otherwise, you know, you have done altar call 200 times. 200 times. (laughs) That also is a human invention. Do you know there's no altar call in the Bible? Are you ready for all I'm teaching? Uh-huh. Nothing wrong with it. In fact, I'm going to do one now. Because the same way there was no microphone in the Bible, no keyboard in the Bible, you know, and all of that. As long as it's not a contradiction of what the Bible teaches. Let me tell you why we do altar calls. Not to save anybody. <laughs> Let me tell you one more. There is no sinner's prayer in the Bible. Have you noticed? Any sinner's prayer you see is the invention of the church. That's why churches have different ones, because they make it up. You get what I'm saying? You don't get saved by praying. (laughs) You get saved by believing, believing the gospel. If you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be what? That's how you get saved. I'm going to wrap up with this. um, Romans chapter 10. Don't forget we read Romans chapter 9 yesterday when it says, it's not of he that wills, nor of he that runs, but what? He was not just talking about simple people, but simple message also. And that's why when you come to Romans chapter 9, verse 30, he says, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith as it were, but by works of the law. If you pursue righteousness by behavioral modification, you will not attain it. Come on, are you with me? So now, he now comes to chapter 10 from verse 1. Follow me closely. In chapter 10 from verse 1, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire to God and my prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Everybody look at verse 1 and verse 2 closely. Let me help you understand. Read verse 2 first. Read verse 2 first. One, two, go. Now read verse 1. One, two, go. Listen. What you just read scares me. 
Because it proves that you can have zeal for God and not be saved. When he was praying for the salvation of these people, he says, I bear witness that they have zeal for God. So you can have zeal for God and not be saved. Listen, salvation, there is an intelligence to salvation. No? Have you read about Cornelius? Cornelius said, the Bible says he was a pious man, nice man, kind man. He gave alms regularly. He was a philanthropist. He was generous. Guess what? Then the Bible says he prayed every day. He was prayerful and he was not saved. Acts chapter 10. Go and read it. You can be prayerful and not be saved. You can give alms regularly and not be saved. You can be well-behaved, pious. He was a man of piety. You can be a pious man and not be saved. And so the Lord sent an angel to him. Ah, this guy, you are sincere, but you are wrong. Oh. You can be sincerely wrong. So the angel said, send for a man named Peter. He will tell you words that, by which you'll be saved. Meaning, for you to be saved, you must hear words. Hear words about what Christ has done. You must believe it, receive it. That's how salvation comes, not by effort. These ones were walking. Go, take me back to Romans chapter 10, quickly. Romans chapter 10, verse 2. I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Look at verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness which is of God. Meaning there is a righteousness that God calls your own righteousness. You will feel happy doing it. You feel you are doing something. But it doesn't count before God. That story Jesus told tells us that it is possible to fast twice every week. And God does not accept you. It is possible. Listen. Oh my God. Have you read 1 Corinthians 13? It says, though I offer my goods to the poor and my own body to be burned and have not love. <laughs> Meaning you can even sac sacrifice your own life as a martyr. And that's not love. You're not walking in love. <laughs> Are you getting this? Because some of us, we think it's about nobleness, nobility. We think it's about discipline. And it's not. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. Verse 5, very quickly, verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness which, of the, which is of the law. He says that the man who does these things shall live by them. Meaning, the people who attain, try to attain righteousness by the law. They try to do this and do that to have eternal life. That's how many people view salvation. That, okay, you must not do this, you must not do that. The truth is, we don't do these things not to be saved, but because we are saved. I'm going to say something people don't like hearing. Next time I have time, <laughs> I'm going to explain the order of salvation and how all these things were a metaphor. Listen, when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, that was a metaphor of salvation, right? 
Did he give them the law before bringing them out of Egypt or after? Aha. Uh -huh. So that means the law was not meant to be a procedure for salvation, but a demonstration of consecration. Are you getting what I'm saying? So now in Christ, when we are saved, we receive the Holy Spirit and the law of God is written in our hearts. That was what the tablet of stone was supposed to represent. The enablement of the Spirit after believing, not before, after salvation. So God said, follow these words and follow the arrangement. You saw how I brought you out of Egypt on the wings of an eagle. He said, therefore, keep my law. So after salvation is discipleship. The law was never to get people saved. It was a type to show consecration in Christ. Do you understand that? But anyway, now in verse 6 of Romans 10, it says, But the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise. Say not in your heart, who shall ascend to the heaven that is to bring Christ down? Or who shall descend into the deep that is to bring him up again from the, from the grave? You know, let me just explain it this way. She's just telling you, don't go too far what you are looking for in Sokoto is in your way. I mean, it, it's, the message is simple. Don't say, who shall ascend? What can I do to be saved? It's not about climbing up. It's not about going down. Verse 8. But what says it? The word is nigh you. You see, what you're looking for in Sokoto is where? Is, that's, what, that's what he's trying to say. The word is nigh you. In your heart and in your mouth. Even the word of faith which you preach. Verse 8, that if you, if you shall confess, verse 10, verse 9, sorry, that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So now this is the problem. All these guys were zealous for God, but they were not saved. And now someone else comes, hears the gospel, believes it. Think about it. There were Pharisees that were not saved. But the thief, by the side of Jesus on the cross, just said, remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus said, today, I say to you, you shall be with me in paradise. Isn't that powerful? Heaven will be full of surprises. People say that. But it's not the type of surprise they think. The type of surprise that will happen is, the people you think should be there, just based on effort, will not be there. But everyone who believes in him shall not perish. Even the people you think don't deserve it, if they believe. Come on, are you, let me tell you this. The other extreme is this. You can't truly be saved and go on in sin. It's not possible. Are you getting what I'm saying? But even that is a process. Some people are growing to understand sanctification and consecration. But it is first and foremost a saved thing. So when they believe in their heart, confess with their mouth, any contradiction we see in their life, we say, mm -mm, your body is the temple of the Lord. We don't ask them to rededicate. We, we just ask them to wake up, get serious, say unto Akipos, fulfill the ministry you have received of the Lord. You can give someone a charge who was sleeping to sit up. 
Jimasu. All right. You wake up. It says, they that sleep, it's scriptural, they that sleep are of the world. Yeah. He's coming like a thief in the night, so don't be sleeping. Hallelujah. And then when it comes to miracles, it's also simple. All right. As a round of the last text I'm going to read this morning or this afternoon, Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 verse 5. God uses simple people with a simple message and it works miracles in simple ways. As simple as the message of salvation is, that's how simple miracles will be today. Say loud, amen. amen. Because it's the same way. It says, he that ministers to you the spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So the same way, you don't qualify for miracles by works. You just hear. If you, if you hear me say, God is going to heal you today and you believe it. God is going to heal you today. Can we rehearse that? Well, God is going to heal you today. You believe that, right? Zapalian dongrisos. Are you ready for miracles? Come on, are you ready for miracles? Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, Reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.